Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Maxim Shipka, the CTO at Vortexer. Maxim has spent his career working in cybersecurity and was previously the CTO at ClearSwift. Maxim details his journey of optimization, from focusing on survival after leaving home and studying at university to concentrating on learning and becoming a CTO. We discuss circles of influence, status, and the journey of change that happens throughout our careers, as well as working to make yourself redundant as a leader. Maxim's attitude towards having purpose and the constituent parts that create purpose have allowed him to focus on what will bring him happiness through work, but also in his life outside of it. What has not worked in your career so far? What hasn't worked? I toyed a few times with this idea of setting up my own business. And every time I come to the conclusion, every time I come to the conclusion that it's not for me. You know? So in essence, you could say that it's something that didn't work, right? Uh, and the main reason, the main reason for that is the attitude to risk, the, the background, you know. Um, and I'm wondering how many people out there are thinking, oh, I've got to do it. I've got, I really want to do it, right? And thinking in a similar way to mine, which is, uh, yeah, I could, but I have so many obligations. I have so many things that, you know, if, 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 if I fail in them, then it's not only me who's going to suffer, there's so many people around me who are going to suffer, you know. And I'm primarily talking about family. I'm primarily talking about extended family as well. I was born in Ukraine. I studied in Ukraine. I, I then studied in university in, in, in Russia. And I lived more than half of my life in, in UK. So you'd like to think that UK is going to be, this country, United Kingdom, is going to be the most defining to my personality. But it's surprising to keep discovering how many early days um, experiences are still limiting, you know, to an extent. And I would say that's, that's what hasn't worked. And how to, to come across, <clears throat> how to sort of conquer those limits is, well, first of all, do you want to? Second, if you want to, how do you do that? Because as I mentioned to you earlier, if you have nothing to lose, you know, then you can afford to lose nothing, 
right? Because you have nothing. Um, if you have a lot, then losing a lot, you know, won't make a difference, right? You still, you still would, will have the basics. Uh, at the same time, I come from the background where, you know, my family wasn't the most affluent. You know, if I wanted a computer, I needed to solder one together myself from chips in former Soviet Union. Um, I remember sort of being very, very hungry during university years, literally starving, you know, um, and uh, a lot of those experiences I keep discovering are still defining me today. Despite the fact that I'm in a very different place. I'm a, I'm a CTO in a successful company. I have been CTO for a few times. I have been through a few very successful exits in my career, you know, and yet those experiences still define me a lot, you know, and that's, that's one thing that hasn't worked. I haven't been able to overcome those early defining experiences. Does it make sense, Ben? It does. It, and everything about that wanted, I wanted to say, is it reasonable? Is it reasonable that you still have that? Uh, honestly, honestly, at a logical level, no, it's not. At a logical level, I know I will, I will do fine. You know, I know that uh, I will find a job if, if you know, I need to. I know that if I suddenly had no income today, I could survive for many, many, many years in the future, not doing anything, right? Even if I wasn't looking for a job. And yet, fundamentally, at the deep, deep, deep level down there, you know, I also know that uh, there are people that rely on me, you know, on my income, on my, on my well-being, you know, to support them. And um, while I can risk with my life and my well-being, you know, I cannot persuade myself that, uh, you know, the, the people that depend on me, that I can risk that, right? It's, um, and I know, you know, to be honest with you, here is an interesting thing. I've spoken to some executives that are much more successful than I'll ever be, you know. Uh, I've spoken to people who have been running the companies with, you know, billion pound revenues, right? And they have the same innate fear. They are hired executives um, and they never sort of persuaded themselves to set up their own business, despite the fact they have so much experience, they have so much, uh, you know, they have uh, so many ideas, you know, they know how to do it. Um, just because their attitude to risk is very similar to mine, you know. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's definitely not reasonable. It's definitely not logical, but it's at some different level. It's it's one of the defining defining experiences in life, you know. I guess, you know, if I were born in this country and grew up in this country, I would know that no matter what happens, I, I would know from early years, no matter what, what happens, I would be fine, you know. But I wasn't born in this country, and uh, uh, I don't know that deep, deep down. Um... Yeah.
Where do you go from I'm there, not, right? Yeah, I'm not going to... It's funny, like, I... Uh, I really feel everything that you... Everything that you said there. And I think the reason why I pause is because I feel very grateful for the circumstances that I found myself in when I started Cord, because I had that and you didn't it's it's you know it's nothing to be regretting it's the way I look at it right is turn your weakness into your strength right um the opposite side of it is i i've met many very cool very exciting founders you know who are sort of focused on one or two gigs in their life right um and you know they're super committed super passionate about it and it's really really cool uh and but they only know what they know they only know what they've seen I get the luxury through working with so many different, very cool, interesting companies, you know, whether it's through due diligence, whether it's through helping them sort out their engineering or research departments, right? Uh, or whether it's sort of directly as an executive within the company, I get so many more chances to understand what good looks like right from very many different perspectives right i've seen so many times uh how you know a founder can be so passionate so keen to get their idea right and they're investing so much time just in the wrong place the idea is great but because you haven't seen because you are sort of reinventing it because you may be you know, reading some books, and the books are great, but at the same time, there's still theory, right? And there are practical limitations and practical sort of ways to apply what's written in those books. It just, you know, my, the value I bring is I've seen so many different things uh, and, and, and gigs in my life that I can, uh, I'd like to think that I can sort of generalize some experiences and I can sort of uh, apply the right things in the right situations, right? So that's that's the strength. That's the flip side of the coin, right? Yeah, and you're right to say that there's two sides to, to every coin there. And actually you've made, whilst we started by talking about the the thing that hadn't worked, that by its nature has actually caused the thing that has worked. And now your profession is a direct result of the thing that that hasn't worked and helping the people who are doing the thing that that you're not doing since you're in in the early days what were you optimizing for and how has that changed good good question good question in the early early days you know it was it was literally sort of optimizing for you know well i'm talking about sort of on my own of course you know when when i live with parents and, and and what have you there's a lot less responsibilities but i moved out of uh, my home when i was 17 and uh, as i as i mentioned earlier my my uh, 
family is not an affluent family, so I chose to go and study in one of the best universities in former Soviet Union at the time, which is Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. Great university. Uh, and my parents did what they can to support, what they could to support me, you know. Uh, just they didn't realize that what they could do for me sort of in that university wouldn't last me for a month, let alone for six months, right? Uh, which which is what how they budgeted for things. And I didn't feel that it would be the right thing to ask for anymore because I knew if my parents could give me more, they would give me more, right? So initially, in the very beginning, it was about optimizing for survival, for, you know, starting to make some money in the beginning just, just to eat. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, anything. Remember the Maslow Pyramid, right? It's very, 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 very basic thing there, you know. Just just to be able to, to earn enough to eat. Um, and uh, fortunately, fortunately, you know, the university did uh, offer opportunities to earn money, you know. So it, it, was, it was actually quite defining in my career. So... Uh, my, my degree is in theoretical physics and, and cold fusion. Uh, but at the same time, there were a few organizations that sort of needed engineers, software engineers in the university, right? Um, and you started during the day and late in the evening, sort of 6 p.m. onwards or so, uh, you actually get on with uh, with some coding side of things. Assembler, still, still, still remember that. Yes, writing code in assembler. Um, so that that was that that was that. But then, after that, it evolved. It definitely evolved. You know, what I've done next was, uh, you know, I got I got reached out by headhunters. <clears throat> oh no no no! The the very first case was there was literally sort of an ad in the university hostel saying, "Oh, there's this company, McAfee." Uh, that that uh, needs engineers back in Moscow to uh, work on some anti-malware side of things, right? Uh, and and you know back in the days, I don't know Ben whether whether you remember this or not, but back in the days, if you wanted to work on a computer, if you wanted to do anything useful on it, because there were no antivirus solutions really, the first thing you do is you manually clean it up with all the malware, right? And then you actually are able to do things. And it turned out that I got quite good at, at cleaning out the lab computers in the university from malware uh, before actually, you know, uh, I don't know, modeling strange attractors, for example, right? Um, uh, and there was an ad in the, in, the, in the hostel literally saying, you know, there's this company called McAfee. I mean, what do I know? McAfee is a name of the company uh, that needed somebody to, uh, you know, to start writing the sort of script definitions for how to identify malware and how to remove it. And I thought, okay, you know, I could do that. I did do that sort of manually, but I could do that for, for, for money. And that sort of defined my career uh, big time. It wasn't, it wasn't, at that time, it was a little bit of a, you know, you optimize for survival, then you're in a little bit in a limbo, right? You are, you are, you are sort of almost looking at where life is going to take you. And that's what happened to me. And that's how 
I started in anti-malware industry, and that's that's where I spent most of my career. That's where I have patents. That's where sort of I did uh, um, a lot of presentations, interviews, and what have you. So if back then you're optimizing for survival, if you fast forward to today, what are you optimizing for today? Uh, absolutely for learning. And I think, I think that's going to be the same. Uh, that's going to be the same for as long as my career lasts, right? I absolutely optimize for learning. If 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 I don't, you know, I, I really like this saying where they say, you know, if you if you are not moving forward, you're going backwards. There's no standing still, right? There's no standing still in modern world, right? Uh, so whatever wherever I am, whatever opportunity I'm looking at, I'm looking for opportunities to learn, you know. So you're learning in order to make sure that you continue moving forward. Is it that it's the learning for the sake of learning for the love of learning? Or is it that it you've worked backwards from, actually, I just need to keep moving here? I love learning, right? Um, I absolutely love learning. And then a side effect of it, that's actually, that's actually a very deep question there. Uh, a side effect of learning is moving forward. You know, I don't do learning not to move backwards. No, I do learning because I absolutely love learning, you know, and that's, uh, in fact, if anything, you have, uh, you know, I have, again, you know, sort of to contrast, to contrast my career against sort of more entrepreneurial side of things, I have, um, I'm genuinely, genuinely interested in way too many things, right? But what I've seen with the best entrepreneurs out there is they're passionate about one thing. They go deep in that one thing. You can't distract them from that one thing. They, they wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, they get back onto that one thing. You know, I genuinely am interested in, 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 in a variety of things. I mean, guitar is one example behind me, right? Um, and I and I like the process. I like the process of being able to do something that I wasn't able to do before, right? That's already again talking about muscle pyramid. That's a lot closer to the top, you know. For me, that's self self actualization is about learning, and you know, of course, one of the best ways of learning that I found is is uh, sharing my experiences, you know. I don't want to go as far as teaching uh, because because teaching is something a lot more formal, a lot, a lot more well-defined, but more around uh, some of my most favorite gigs were around, uh, you know, getting engaged with a particular company to help them out to sort out some big, serious, significant problems they were unable to deal with by themselves, right? And by doing that you end up meeting fantastic people and you end up learning as well. You end up learning about the new company. You end up learning about what's not working for them. You, you learn which out of your experiences are going to be applicable to that and you learn which ones of them fail. And when, when it comes to learning, I think it can be so challenging because there's two contradictions on either side. On the one hand, learning is something that we celebrate. We want people to learn lots of different things and uh, we see it as, as something that generally our society celebrates. But on the other hand, there's also a, 
a kind of a worry that maybe you always just want the next best thing that actually maybe you'll just follow the, that dopamine hit and you'll keep trying bits out and you'll actually start a load of stuff and you'll never see things through to the end. How do you draw the line between the two? It's definitely the downside of it. The only, the one, the only way I found is, is be conscious about it. Conscious about what you learn, conscious about how you allocate your time. You know, there are some indulgences, of course, you know, uh, but you've got to be clear and honest with yourself that this part of my learning is, is an indulgence. That part of my learning is something that's, that's taking me forward, some deliberate learning, right? Focused learning, right? Uh, what was it? Richard Branson famously said, if I knew, if I knew everything I know today about building, uh, building the airline, right? I would never ever have started, right? And that, that's the downside of learning. You know, you sort of learn about the, the details of it. You, you sort of, uh, you, you realize how much more complex than you initially thought it was, right? And you never start. Um, which is not dissimilar to, to, to exactly what you're saying. In my case, I have, you know, I'm a big lover of Evernote and I have sort of a big note there where I prioritize the things that, you know, where I invested time, I review it regularly, so maybe once a month. <clears throat> the things that, that, that I've learned, that I've invested my time in, and then I decide, you know, do I want to continue with this or do I want to sort of put it on the back burner? You know, there's always... There's always things that are always at the top, you know, which are which are things related to my trade, to my profession. I absolutely love being a CTO. You know, I mean, don't take me wrong. Um, uh, I have been brought up in this sort of context where I'm a company director first and a, and a functional leader second. But it's the technology, it's the CTO side of it that sort of I happily makes me happily wake up on Monday mornings. So whatever makes me a better CTO, right, that's definitely prioritized, right? Uh, whatever makes me sort of more relevant to my engineers, more sort of able to multiply, to amplify uh, what my engineers are, are doing, uh, you know, is, is definitely prioritized. And it's something that I love because the amount of satisfaction I get from seeing a group of people uh, sort of somehow magically, and that's a magic moment to observe, absolutely magic, turns into a team. I don't know whether you've been experienced it in your life, but group of people becomes a team. I don't know how to describe in words the difference, but every time you see it, you say, yes, yes, I know that that's exactly what happened, right? And that's magical. And for that, you've got to be learning and understanding a lot more than your ability to write the best code out there, right? So let's, learning's up there. Alongside learning, what role does status play in your working journey and how have you if you have optimized for status. Uh, okay, okay. Now that's a, that's a great question. Yes. I don't see a status as something uh, one boasts about. I see status more as 
the ability to influence more things. Okay, so does this metaphor? Uh, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of this metaphor called Circle of Doom. Okay, um, so what it talks about is the vast majority of people in their lives, right? So there's a circle of things that people would like to change. And there's inside of it a much smaller circle of things that people can change. It just so happens that the vast majority of people end up sort of really frustrated about things that are outside of their circle of influence, but within their circle of things that they're not happy about. Um, so back to status, I see status as you know, a reflection of the fact that your circle of influence is as big as it can be, you know, within, within your inf interests, of course, right? Um, and that, that is something exciting for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I like, I like to not make decisions, but be accountable for the decisions that my department makes, right? I like that pressure. I like that um, sort of responsibility and that's 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 where the status comes in you know the fact that it's sort of called this or the other I mean matters little it just so happens that in the modern world in the modern society in the modern companies uh, the people who have the biggest circle of influence are executives right mm -hmm. Uh, I don't drive fancy cars. I don't live in, you know, fancy mansions. You know, none of that. None of that is important. Uh, what is important is having the ultimate responsibility for a big set of functions. You know, it's getting as close to being a founder as possible without actually stepping over into the risky area, right? doesn't make sense. And is that the... Is that the limit? Is it that you want to get as much leverage as you possibly can up until the point where it start, it tips into that territory? I don't know. I wish I had that answer. I wish I had that answer, Ben, because when I think about it logically, there's no reason... Yeah, as I say, you know, there's plenty of ideas, there's plenty of opportunities, there's no reason, there's no logical reason not to step over that boundary. There's no logical reason, but as I say, you know, there's something fundamentally deep, deep down that, I don't know, some almost limbical brain level, right? Uh, that sort of says, no, no, sorry, kind of no further, no further, right? It's interesting to think like if you if you took a step over that line would it would it nourish you or would it be would it be too much I want to understand what I would get that I don't get today by stepping over that line you know uh, you been know firsthand all too well how executive teams work, right? Um, it's very, very close to having, having sort of the, the, every member of executive team to having the full and complete responsibility for the company. I mean, if you look at British law, you know, it's as simple as, you know, if you're an executive of the company, whether you're listed as its director or not, in the eyes of the law, you are treated as one, right? So... 
I guess what it would give me is the ability to completely single-handedly define the direction of the company. But then how valuable is that? Because, you know, I hire really, really clever, smart people that are way better than me in, in their specific areas, right? So if I were the founder and the CEO of the company and I hired all those people and then decided that I'm going to be the only one defining the direction of the company, am I wasting investors' money? Am I wasting my time? And Am I wasting my executive team's time? So in other words, I'm yet to identify what it is that I would gain by stepping over the line, right? Um, maybe the feeling of achievement mm, of being able to step over the line. Maybe that's that's the biggest thing, right? That's sort of breaking through my own barrier. Uh, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's something that that uh, I will want to do. Uh, right now, right now, I'm still sort of um, still figuring it out, Ben. One of the particularly interesting things about your background is that you replaced the outgoing CTO at uh, ClearSwift and then were there for f five years or so and before Vortex, um, where you're the CTO now. And it must have been quite the... It, I don't think many people are have a view on someone who moves from such a senior role in one company to a such a senior role in another company and how that how that process works in your own mind and how you work through the decision making there how did you know that it was the right time to move on and do something different uh, uh other than clear swift and and how did you go through the process of deciding what to do next and choosing it i think i think Honestly, that's one one of the easier questions. You know, for that one, I have a very very old answer that I used every single time in every single job that I ever had. You know, I always work towards making myself redundant. I always work towards getting to a place where I've achieved what I wanted to achieve in that company. Uh, that operationally, the company can absolutely survive without me that strategically you know all the initiatives are either ticked off or are well on the way and there are clear owners owners of those of those initiatives right and i start to feel either one or two things or both things one is that i'm not using my expertise and and therefore you know i'm starting to feel that i'm redundant and the other one is i'm not learning you know, I don't have brand new sort of difficult problems to dig deep into. And I'm not saying that, you know, every company I left ended up in, in an ideal state. No, that's, you know, preposterous. But what I am saying is that all the problems that needed to be solved were either operational with the right people there or strategic with amazing people driving the strategic sort of uh, solutions to those pe uh, to, to those problems without without my 
uh, my inputs or without the need for my inputs. Of course, you know, I'm always happy to make my inputs known, but... Uh, but it's super challenging when those moments, they're not, they don't, there's no like one moment where it happens. Instead, it, it builds. No, you're absolutely right, but it, it, it almost feels like you lived through that, right? Um, because, because you're absolutely right. It usually builds over three to six months. You know, I would say maybe six months is 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 more likely, right? Uh, you, you grow your team, you sort of make long term bets. You know, from from day one, from day one, you know, when I look at my like thirty, sixty, ninety days plan, I have sort of end plan as well, right? It says that you know, what do I need to do today to make myself redundant and not necessary in the future, right? Um, and and you sort of take those steps. It's not always planned. It not always goes according to plan, but you still sort of make those incremental steps. And then there's a moment where you start feeling. So, for example, with, with ClearSwift, the moment was when we uh, achieved something that the company was never able to achieve before. You know, uh, <clears throat> we pretty much turned the company from, from sort of the brink of bankruptcy. It was a private equity setup. Uh, to to actually very good profitable strong company that was that that was acquired for its strategic strength uh, on the market, um, and then you know I already saw that apart from sort of taking the company through the exit, um, everything else was well in hands well in hands, right? And I was thinking to myself, what's the next challenge? And it just so happened that at the time, the next challenge for that company was, so we went through the reverse takeover there, which was, by the way, amazing experience in its own right. Um, but after a while, after several years, um, having been acquired by, by the new owners, they wanted to do sort of a big restructuring and sort of shape up the bigger business uh, you know, to sort of float on its own. And it, you know, it became just misaligned with with the learnings for me. You know, I've done that. I've done that in that company before, as well as I saw how other people could achieve that within the company without me, you know. And I wanted to see where else I could push myself, right? And that was, so... I have experiences of very different companies, of like private companies, uh, public companies, uh, VC-backed, private equity-backed companies. And I have only worked before ClearSwift, uh, before Vortex. I have only worked in one other VC-backed company. And I wanted to get that and sort of see how the world of venture capital changed, right? And how, you know... And also apply my knowledge and my skills to a different sort of set of technologies because you know if you look if you look at my LinkedIn for example you see that the vast majority of my career is in cybersecurity but there's a stage in my life that came that I sort of had to ask myself that was a defining moment I had to ask myself is cybersecurity the only thing right is that the thing you know because I, I never saw myself as just a cybersecurity specialist I saw myself a lot more of a sort of wider responsibility CTO, right? Not just the cyber thing. It sounds like there's multiple things happening here as you reach the end at ClearSwift. It doesn't sound like there's necessarily one thing that's 
that's tipping it. It sounds like over a period of three to six months, there are there are kind of multiple parts to it that are causing you to think about something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all it's it's never one thing. It's never one thing, you know. I mean, even looking at Vortexa, I saw an amazing opportunity to change the world. And I'm not exaggerating, you know. When I was looking at Vortexa, I got to learn a little bit more about how the whole industry of seaborne energy trading works. And I was shocked and surprised because, you know, when you usually talk about trading, what do you think about? You think about high frequency trading. You, you think about, you know, optimizing for milliseconds, you know, microseconds even, right? Um, and whoever gets there faster in using algorithmical uh, trading is, is going to win. But it's very, very different in commodities. There's so many inefficiencies there. There's still, you know, a lot of people that are trading just because based on who you know and what they know, you know, prior to Vortex and our competitors, there was no single view of the world, right? And it's the opportunity to create that view, the opportunity to optimize one of the oldest markets that existed there and make a difference, make a dent, make a dent in the world by, you know, hopefully making an energy a little bit cheaper, making the world a little bit greener, you know, um, and creating this real-time visibility that was very, very attractive. Uh, it is a push and pull. As, as in every job uh, change, it's always a push and pull. On a push side of things, you are no longer needed in the previous company. The challenges in the previous company are the ones that you successfully sort of ticked off in the past and there are other people more than capable of taking care of them, but also a pool, you know, an opportunity to do something that potentially could have such a profound effect on the world. You know, and I don't mean on UK or Europe, I mean on the whole world. You know. How do you stack rank these different parts to it? Because perhaps a different way of phrasing this question is what makes work meaningful? To you. Purpose, purpose, definitely purpose. Big fan. I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink, by the way. Uh, if you haven't read his book Drive, most definitely recommended. I'm no exception, you know. So Daniel Pink in his Drive talks about things that motivate creative people, right? And software engineering just so happens to be a creative profession, you know, one of the many creative professions out there. And there are three major pillars that motivate creative people, which are autonomy, mastery, and drive. Autonomy is the ability to choose, you know, when you work, who you work with, what you work on, etc., etc. Quite a few things like that. Mastery is the ability to do your best work ever possible, every single day, every single time. And purpose is about, um, you know, Purpose is about why you're doing all that, right? And and really believing in in the why, you know. Uh, purpose for me definitely, you know, especially lately, you know, uh, especially in the last, uh, I would say five ten years, you know, definitely has been ten years. I would say, definitely has been um, uh, sort of the, the defining factor. So. Um, uh, but you know, I can I can be I can be quite picky about the purpose. 
you know, because there are things that interest me, there are things that, 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 that don't interest me, because purpose by itself wouldn't be the only one. You know, you, the, 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 the word you used earlier, which is stack rank, these, uh, these sort of priorities, is absolutely the right uh, word, because purpose by itself is not the only thing that drives it. Uh, how interesting the challenge is. I mean, don't take me wrong, there's, there's a lot of, and I have nothing against, you know, Mm, enterprise ERM systems, for example, right? Nothing against them. You know, they do have a very well-defined purpose. They are very, very much needed CRM systems as well. You know, they're very much needed in every single business and they're changing a lot of business lives. You know, it's just not the thing that is of particular interest to me. You know, here in, in this organization, what I absolutely love, I'm, I'm a big math freak. I mean, you I don't know whether you see some of the books behind or not, but I, I, I really like mathematics and I always sort of enjoyed situations where mathematics can solve some real world problems, you know. And, you know, when below the purpose, right, you get to the mastery, which is use really clever, really hard, really difficult mathematics to figure out something that nobody could figure out before, that's the second thing, right? And then, of course, the autonomy. The autonomy bit for me is what you earlier called status, right? Uh, which is I have the full, complete discretion around how I run my department, how, you know, uh, as long as, you know, as long as uh, what we do is super valuable and delivers the biggest value to the business and to our customers, uh, you know, I have the full, complete discretion. So, you know, Purpose, mastery, autonomy, in a reverse order in which Daniel Pink talks about it in his book and in his TED talk uh, uh, as well. It's interesting how how learning fits into mastery there, because in order to achieve mastery, you have to have developed a skill set that you can apply that will enable you to master whatever it is that you want to pursue but it's also interesting that in that moment the example that you gave was mathematics and how you can apply mathematics in order to achieve mastery can you achieve mastery with more than one thing in that scenario can you choose that i want to achieve mastery with mathematics and i want to achieve mastery with 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 x and with with y or do you have to have a, a bit more clarity on on what it is that you truly want to master and and apply that with slightly slightly more focus perhaps yeah uh, so i don't think you ever sort of apply mastery in a well defined subject you apply mastery to solving a problem rather than um rather than you apply mastery to mathematics for example right in our case, the problem is uh, nobody has the visibility around the real-time movements of energy around the world. In order to do that, you need to be able to process, you know, 1,200 messages per second that are coming to your infrastructure, uh, you know, make non-obvious inferences from that data, etc., etc. Mathematics is a big part of it and my personal passion, of course, but it's impossible to achieve the goal, to achieve the purpose by focusing on just one thing, 
There's so many things that need to come together. So where mastery comes into play, it isn't in, in, in you know the ability to prove, I don't know, Fermi theorem, right? It's in the ability to apply that proof uh, together with many, many other things that you've learned in many other places to solve in this specific proper problem that's, that's in front of you, right? That's where mastery comes in, not at the subject level, not not even at the departmental level, right? Because quite often the mastery comes in around, you know, talking to customers about particular technical problems, you know? So, so a customer comes to you and says, I need this. Well, okay, we can do that. You sure you need that? And how many times in my career I've seen this, you know, customer comes in and says, I need this. The company sort of rushes, delivers what the customer needs. Turns out it doesn't solve the customer problem. Rather, what the customer wants, not needs, sorry. The company delivers what the customer wants, asks for, and it turns out it doesn't solve the customer problem, right? Um, but, you know, one part of mastery, one skill in the whole mastery story there is to be able to talk to customer to figure out what they actually need, what problem they're actually trying to solve, as opposed to what they want, what they think the solution is to their problem, right? And I've experienced it so many times in my career that, you know, um, the skill of understanding what it is that the customer needs as opposed to what the customer wants is absolutely critical in any startup, in any scale up, in, in any sort of, uh, you know, late organization or public company uh, out there. Absolutely critical, right? And how would you say that you, how would you describe your relationship with work now after all of this time, all of these challenges, having achieved in some part an element of mastery, of purpose, of autonomy, whilst also pursuing these other parts of your life where you're able to um explore explore yourself and, and learn how would you now describe your relationship with work i'm sure you're looking for more than just i love it right um so a real answer is it's absolutely the biggest part of my life you know I mean of course I have a family and the family is super super important uh, to me but at the same time you know I'm gonna do what I can I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do what I need to do for the family there's no questions about it but hey I do it through work uh, mostly uh, or a lot of it not mostly a lot of it is through work and B Work is what gives me pleasure, you know. I mean, I, I do I do have a few hobbies of myself, but those hobbies are more complementary rather than sort of uh, opposing, like, you know, table tennis, for example, changing changing what you do. Uh, and even when, when, when you play table tennis quite a lot, you know, you get into that state of flow, right, uh, as a part of table tennis, and you end up thinking about other things. You, you end up thinking about work, uh, as well. It's a big part of my life, maybe sometimes to the detriment of other parts of my life. 
maybe some people would say that it's a little bit unbalanced, right? In terms of unbalanced, in terms of the amount of attention, time and interest that uh, I have towards my work. But to me, to me, the way... Sorry? Are they right? Are they right? Not from my perspective, you know. There's there's opinions out there, right? There's 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 people who are gonna think that they're right, of course. But from my perspective, I need to do what what does two things. First, maximizes my impact on this world, and B, maximizes my enjoyment from this world. As simple as that. Two things only: impact and enjoyment. And Maybe I'm selfish, maybe I'm a bit egocentric, but at the same time, it's my life, I live it once, you know? Uh, I'm sure there will be things I regret, but I'm sure there will be things I celebrate when the time comes, right? And such a challenge, because we reach the the end of our life at some point, and his, his contradicting stories of regret we hear that missed opportunities were were there we we hear that um we took too many opportunities and didn't spend time in the moment it feels like in both directions there is some regret mm mm very true very true there are there are definitely i'm i'm probably more on the side of Although I'm passionate and interested in so many things, uh, there were opportunities that I skipped because of sort of optimizing for other things in in between optimizing for survival and optimizing for learning, right? Um, Some of them... Will I may will I regret that? Maybe I will, but at the same time, you know, I generally would like to think that. Um, I generally would like to think that your enjoyment of life is a function of you, not a function of life. Right. So how much you enjoy your life depends on you and you alone, nobody else, not the things outside of you. I am more glass half full kind of person uh, rather than half empty because it is possible and I've seen it many many times it is possible to find things that interest you that excite you in pretty much everything around you all you need is a desire to look deeper right um it's not to say that one shouldn't strive to sort of improve or, or or look for other opportunities. No, that that that's not the case. But my attitude is: be sure that you've achieved what you wanted to achieve. Be sure that you made a dent. Because, for example, if I join an organization, which, by the way, I see so many times on CVs of of younger individuals nowadays. You know, they spend half a year in a company and they disappear, and then they spend half a year in a different one. You know, and then you have a CV of five years experience, half a year in each company, right? Um, Some might say it's good learning, but I would say 
I would ask how much of a dent, how much of a difference has the person been able to make in in each one of those, right? So when I come across a person who says, oh, you know, I had nothing to learn. Really? Did you not? Are you sure? Did you look deep enough? Uh, because just looking at your CV and talking to you, I can think of 10 other things that you potentially could have learned there. Of course, I haven't been there. Of course, I haven't done that. So, so that that's that's my approach around the opportunities out there and whether to take them or not. Sometimes it yields great results. Sometimes you think should have done differently. But then again, you know, my attitude is it's in the past. What's in the past is in the past. You know, look into the future. If you look into the future deep enough, there's going to be other opportunities. Different, not better, not worse, different opportunities, right? Thank you for your honesty and your clarity and your kind of singular focus in, at times to pursue what you think is is right because that level of conviction is uh, is rare. Uh you know, it, it, it all can backfire, you know, uh, in 30 years time, you know, when it's time or 40 or 50, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is that's left for me, you know, it can all backfire, but, uh, uh, you've got to choose your reference points and you've got to choose your strategy, how you're going to live your life, right? Otherwise you never get to live your life, right? Hmm. Hmm. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks so much for sharing it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ben. Speak to you again at some point. See ya. Ciao. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at benatcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content and more at core.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.